I took a big risk today. It's a big risk because when you love people, you don't want to offend on purpose. Sometimes, however, in this sinful world, offense is necessary. Offense is necessary because the person you are offending is being wrongfully offended. Offense is necessary sometimes because we keep our ear lids so tightly closed that we forget that there are other perspectives. And sometimes I think offense may be necessary not really for any sinful reason on our part, but just because we need to be awakened. Jesus Himself often did things to offend people to catch their attention. You remember the woman from Tyre and Sidon? He called her a dog. Do you remember me preaching that passage not too long ago? That's an important passage because Jesus wants to draw attention to the fact that He will hear prayers from anybody. Jesus, in John chapter 6, says, I am the bread of life. If you do not eat me, you will not have eternal life. That is downright disgusting. I mean, let's just be honest here for a second. But Jesus wanted to catch our attention. He wanted us to ask Him, Jesus, what is going on that you would say something so offensive? And so we ask the question. And we find out that what Jesus is talking about is not eating His physical flesh, but is bringing us into this intimate relationship that is eternal life. I wore my blue jeans today. And I know that there are people who are offended by that. I want you to see something. If there is an impediment to the good news of Jesus Christ, You and I need to wipe out that impediment as far as we're able. Now, we are all sinners. Every single one of us. And we are going to have impediments arise and sometimes it's because we need to be slapped awake. And I love you people. And I think you all know that. And so that was why I took a big risk today wearing blue jeans. Because I want you to see the answer to the question, why should I forgive? And one reason, one of the many reasons why you and I should forgive, because if we don't, we have blinders that will keep us from seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus even if the messenger of that is someone with an ugly face like mine. So why should I forgive? Why should I forgive? Because if you don't, your life is going to be miserable. 
I read a psychiatrist once said that the majority of patients in mental health facilities could go home tomorrow if they were able to forgive and or if they knew that by going home they would be forgiven. This adds a little currency to the saying that we've rehearsed now for the third week many times. Forgiveness is a decision about the future. Forgiveness is never a feeling about the past. Forgiveness is always a decision about what is coming down the road, not what is already behind us. It can't be. But I want to lay my cards on the table early. Your mental health is not the main reason why you and I need to learn to forgive. Your mental health and mine is not the reason we need to learn to forgive. Now, it's an important one. You will save yourselves ulcers. You will save yourself headaches. You will save yourself relationships. You will save yourselves pain up the wazoo if you learn to forgive. Don't ask me where wazoo is. I don't know. The most important reason that you need to forgive is because God commands you to do it. Let's look at our notes. Why should I forgive? Number one, forgiving others is a command, not a request. I am intentionally going back to this verse every single week because it is one of Jesus' most important verses on the subject. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. Period. Now, this isn't just some verse in some obscure part of Scripture. And if it were, it would still be Scripture invalid. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is trying to catch our attention. And Matthew is summarizing all of the most important things that Jesus had to say in His three-year ministry in one sermon. And there it is. Forgive those who have sinned against you. It's a command. It's not a request. The second reason is you and I owe a debt we cannot repay. Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And he did it by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You've heard this story before, but what happened is in Roman times, if you went to the market and you stole some bread and you got caught, they would write out what was known as a certificate of debt. Joe stole a loaf of bread from Ben, 10 lashes. So they wouldn't bring you to trial. Forget all this trial nonsense. They'd take you to the main square. They'd tie your hands up on a post like this. They'd take off all your clothes and they'd whip you ten times. They'd take you down and they would write across this certificate of debt, it is finished. 
And they'd give it to you. You'd go home and you'd probably be home for a week before you were able to move again. But the next time you came back into town, somebody said, that's the guy who stole the loaf from Ben the baker. Yes, it was. I am. I am the guy who did it. And I have my certificate of debt. And it says, it is finished. It's taken care of. Do you know what Jesus said in John chapter 19, verse 30? To Telestai. It is finished. All of your trespasses, all of your iniquity, all of your sin, should you be one who trusts in the promises of God for you in Christ, your sins are forgiven. They're gone, they're absolved. And God goes out of his way to explain this. I wadded them up and I tossed them into the deepest part of the sea. I separated them as far from you as the east is from, east is from the west. There you go, sorry. <laughs> I took some ink in the book that had all your sins and I took some extra ink and I kept dripping it all over the place. I blotted them out. God our Father is going the extra mile to explain to us your sins are forgiven. Your 10,000 talent debt that the whole nation of Judah would pay in a decade to Rome, meaning you can't pay this, is gone. So, when someone comes up to you who owes you a three and a half month worth of wages debt, you need to forgive them. You need to forgive them. Because, as Proverbs chapter, 9, chapter 20, verse 9 says, Who can say I've made my, pure, my heart pure? I am clean from sin. Can anybody here right now say that you have not sinned today? Can anybody here say you haven't sinned this afternoon? I don't want to be that person. Because the Bible says, if I confess my sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive me of my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. My friends, we owe a debt we cannot repay. And that debt was written out on this certificate of debt and God wrote across it, it is finished. Breathe that clean, fresh air. And learn to forgive. Learn to forgive. Because you cannot be free, number three, until you forgive. Psalm 38.3, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Now I know that this is a general statement by David, not one specifically concerning forgiveness, but not forgiving is a sin. And when we hold on to it, it will make us sick. My friends, forgiveness is a decision about the future, not a feeling about the past. So now I want to deal with a question that I've been putting off for, this is the third week now. What is it that we need to forgive? What, what is going on when we come to this place where we need to forgive? Well, 
We're angry. That's the bottom line. Let's just spit it out for what it is. Anger is an emotion indicating that a boundary has been crossed. Someone has done something to you. Might be a relatively small thing. Might be a relatively big thing. But some boundary has been crossed and your emotional reaction to that is anger. And if Paul tells us, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I'm one of those big old fat jerk husbands that when we first got married, I interpreted, do not let the sun go down on your anger as meaning, we're going to stay up all night until we figure this out. Which meant, you're going to apologize to me. How well do you think that worked out? Amazing that I'm still alive. That's right. You know what? this verse means? This verse means, hey, I might very well be angry because there is some boundary that has been crossed. But I'm not going to let that get in the way of my relationship with my wife. Nor, as Jerry correctly pointed out, she with I, therefore I'm still eating after these 20 years. What it means is that we're going to go to bed, we're going to love each other, and we're going to figure this out when we get a chance that we're emotionally and physically ready and able to do the work of whatever it is we're talking about. And we're not going to let anger get in the way. Because we know that we love each other. And that's just what we need to do. We just need to make that decision. I'm not going to let this anger get in the way of my relationship with my wife, with my children, with whoever it is that I'm angry about. Now what you do in the face of injustice is another matter. Sometimes anger is appropriate. Although James correctly points out that the, righteous, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. So anger is not usually helpful. And I can trust Jesus making a whip and going into the temple, but I'm not so sure that my sinful heart could have that same amount of righteous anger. Is anybody, anybody with me on that? You understand what I'm saying? So what do we do? Number two, Anger cannot remain in our hearts unless we allow it. Now, I was going to put, and you might put above that, unless we feed it. Anger is a fire. It is something that once that fire starts, it'll consume everything. And the preacher in Hebrews calls it a root. Chapter 12, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, you won't see the Lord if you're not striving for peace with everyone. And then he expands on this idea and he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Do you want the grace of God in your life? Do you want God to bless you? That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by, many, by it many become defiled. Many of you know that I love fruit trees. And we lived on this 
nice, actually nice little property in San Bernardino. And there was a lemon tree at the back part of our property back there that gave lousy lemons. Now the neighbor next door had this great, huge lemon tree and she said, come over anytime you want some lemons, which we frequently did. But there's this inexhaustible supply of lemons as far as we were concerned at our neighbor's house. And in the back part of our property back here, there's this lousy lemon tree. And as it turns out, I wanted to park my trailer back there and I wanted to plant a, a plum tree, etc. And so I decided I'm going to take this lemon tree out. No problem. Go out there, saw it all down, put it in the trash can. Took a couple weeks to do it. But now I got to the place where I left a stump about this high and I needed to get the rest of the, of the tree out. So what do you do? Well, you sit there and you take your shovel and you're trying to get at it. I couldn't even get the shovel in the dirt because there's roots everywhere. And so I had to take a little spade. In fact, I think I may have purchased my spade at that time to dig around these roots. And I was trying to get all this cleared out. And I mean, it took me forever. And finally, I had this, it had to be a 12 foot in diameter hole around this tree. And I chopped as many of the roots as I can. And finally, what I did is I hooked up a rope to it, tied it to the bumper of my truck and started driving. Well, I got it. Eventually, I got that thing out. Do you know what it did? It pulled out roots that went completely across my yard. And so there's just these lines where the roots came up out of the ground. And it destroyed probably a third of my backyard in terms of just pulling up dirt and this hole and the part of the backyard that was destroyed because I was spinning my wheels out. That cancerous lemon tree had roots that the preacher of Hebrews is calling roots of bitterness. And it grows up and it defiles many. You know how this works out. Because you go to work and your coworker comes in snippy and puts you in a bad mood and then you go and you make a phone call on your vendor and they tell you no and then that puts you in a bad mood and then you talk to somebody else and they tell you you're an idiot that puts you in a bad mood and guess what you come home to your beautiful wife and kids and guess what you're in a bad mood aren't you am I the only one does anybody here know what I'm talking about here Any, anybody anybody okay good that is an example of this root of bitterness that grows up and it defiles many. And then you come home and you're snippy with your wife or you're not effectively parenting, we'll just leave it at that. Your children and their roots of bitterness now have a seed. And you do that often enough and what do you get? Soul cancer the only cure for which is forgiveness. The only cure for which is the grace of God. And then we need to talk about what does that look like now that I've got this root 
of bitterness that is growing up and defiling many relationships in my own heart. What does it look like? Well, I'm going to have to pay. I'm going to have to pay to experience forgiveness. The forgiveness forgiver must always pay for the offender's sin. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Isaiah 43.25. I, even I. He's drawing your attention several times at the end of Isaiah. He says, I, even I. Look, pay attention. This is me talking, Yahweh says. I am He who blots out your transgression. Remember that spilling the ink so that your transgressions can't be read anymore? And He does it. For his own sake. Are you saved for your joy? Yes, you are. Are you saved so that you can glorify God in the presence of others? Yes, you are. But you are saved for his sake. The glory belongs to him because he does it for his own glory. And he emphasizes the fact again. He says, and I will not remember your sins. Oh, amen. The Father, God the Father, paid for your offenses so that you can be forgiven. And Peter comes up. I love Peter because I have a big mouth too. Peter comes up and says, hey, Jesus, you know, I'm a pretty important guy look i mean look look how wonderful i am jesus i'm willing to forgive the guy who sins against me seven times seven times wow good job pete you just turned a heart problem into a math problem you just went and said oh you sinned again (laughs) i got that one oh is that another one Ooh, you're adding up here pretty quick. Jesus responds, this is not a math problem, folks. Forgiving is a heart problem. And forgiveness is a decision about the future. Not a feeling about the past. We also learn you forfeit the right to revenge when you forgive. Now I know that some of these are review from last week, but frankly, we need review. I'm preaching this sermon to me as much as I am to anybody else here. Someone sins against us, and there is a right, a correct, a righteous response how dare you the first five places donna and i lived we had our car stolen we had our our car broken into in each of those five places tells you about the places i was able to afford us to live at but how dare you how dare you break in to my car broke locks broke windows And then our car got stolen one of those five times. How dare you? It is right to be offended by that. It is. But forgiveness takes the step of saying, though it is right for me to be offended, 
I can't take revenge. As I said a moment ago, I can trust Jesus with the whip in the temple beating out the money changers, but I can't trust that whip in my hand. Because there will be all kinds of unrighteous anger in that. When you forgive, you are trusting the promise that the Lord gives us in, in, in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it to the... I love defining wrath because wrath... We think of this, but wrath is God's settled opposition to everything that demeans Him. And God is settled in His opposition to the injustices that you face and that you have faced and that you will face. And He will take care of it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And that frees us it blesses us. It rewards us. It gives us the ability to know that we know that we know that forgiveness is a decision about the future. It is not a feeling about the past. And in my struggles with forgiveness, one of my biggest struggles for years was coming to terms with how will I know that I have forgiven? Someone sins against me. And I'm not talking about one of these sins. I'm talking about one of these sins. And those sins tend to stay in my mind. Anybody with me? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus says, God, God the Father says, I will for remember your sins no more. But I... I guess I'm still fallen because I still remember those sins. They still come to mind. So how do I know, Jesus? I've, I've said I've forgiven that person a hundred times. How do I know that I actually have forgiven them? Well, let me answer that question. It's actually not very hard. Number one, Lord, I forgive them. Now, anger is still seething. You haven't had time and opportunity to allow that to be washed away. It's still there. Lord, I forgive. That is the choice. It's a choice that you need to make. And then, that's followed by over and over and over again, Lord, I already forgave them. I already forgave that person. But, but Lord, how do I know that I've done it? Here's the answer. You bless them. You bless the person. God, I'm still so angry. Lord, I forgive. And Lord, give them grace to be right with you. There has been ample opportunity in the last 20 years for me only to go that far. Only to be able to say, Lord, Bless them so that they will be right with you. Because some transgressions against us are not paper cuts. They are swords to our hearts. And the best 
we can do at that moment is to give glory to God by trusting his promise. He will turn that seed of saying, Lord, bless them, make them right with you. He will turn that little seed of obedience into a great tree that brings blessing and grace and mercy and it kills, it severs that root of bitterness so that it doesn't destroy your other relationships. Ephesians 4, let no, uncorrupt, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And when you bless your enemies, the Father blesses you. Forgiveness is a decision about the future. It is a decision to let God be God. Let God take care of whatever righteous judgment needs to happen, either against that person in hell or against Jesus on the cross. Either way, your wrath your anger, your righteous judgment is superlative. It's extra. It's meaningless. In fact, it's not only meaningless, it's positively destructive. And this is what it destroys. My heart. Because most often the people that I'm most angry at don't even know that I'm angry. Because I'm a coward and I won't let them know. <laughs> what is the cost of unforgiveness? You will not be forgiven. This is the passage we did two weeks ago. Since the man could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Now, I don't like, quote-unquote, spiritualizing uh, parables. But man, alive. How many of you in your lifetime have seen exactly this? Because of a man's sin, the wife and children were sold into slavery of a life that they just shouldn't have ought to had. It doesn't take very much thinking to come up with a dozen names where that's true. You will bear more pain. Oh my goodness. Praise Jesus. Pastor Benji quoted this verse, I think it was three weeks ago, and it was just, it was balm to my soul. Come to me. <sighs> Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Oh my goodness. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't shy away from a profit motive. We have this wrong view sometimes of God. 
that if we benefit in any way, then our motives really aren't good. If we enjoy worship, well, we must not be worshiping right. Or if we get blessing by blessing others, well, we're, we're doing it under false pretenses and we're losing crowns, jewels in our crowns. That's baloney! As C.S. Lewis said, that comes from Kant and the Stoics. That doesn't come from Scripture. This is all about profit right here, right now. Do you want rest? Come to Jesus. Dare to get close to Him. Dare to be like the boy in Matthew 18, 1-6 and crawl up on His lap and just enjoy it. And forget about the people who are trying to poison your life. Forget about it. Let it go. As I said, forgiveness is a process that begins with the choice to be obedient to God, to trust His promise, Him to be just in the end. This point in time decision is then followed by repeated decisions to let that decision stand. Trusting God to continue to provide the grace to walk in His Spirit by trusting His promises. What forgiveness is not It's not denying the injury, pretending all is well. You're not just saying, oh, well, no big deal when you got a dart hanging out of your middle of your chest. It's not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation, as we said last week, is a two-way street. You're forgiving them, they're receiving the forgiveness, and they're offering you forgiveness. You are not by forgiving somebody, going to immediately trust them. Those are not the same. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is given. I should have made that a point. Trust is earned. Forgiveness must be given. Forgiveness does not release the offender from corrective action or discipline. There are many times when someone must suffer the consequences. Maybe that's legal action. Sometimes. I heard a story. Made me want to vomit just a month ago. Someone I knew had abused his daughter. And you know what? He deserves to go to jail. That's what happens. That's the corrective action. Oh, God. Save his soul. And forgiveness does not mean I can earn forgiveness. You can't. You can't earn forgiveness. Make your relationship right. Ask for forgiveness. Receive it where necessary. But don't just keep on belaboring the point. If your relationship is going to survive, then it will. You don't need to earn it. What forgiveness is? Forgiveness is releasing the offender from mental and verbal criticism. You have to bless the person. This is where blessing comes in and is so important. Because if you can say in your heart, Lord, bless this person, you cannot pray for someone's blessing. In fact, you cannot pray to God at all and be sinning at the same time. You can't. You're either cursing the person and therefore you're not praying, Or you're praying to God and therefore you're not cursing them. This is huge. Because when you get this mental ability to recognize, oh, there I am criticizing him again or her again. 
then you could stop and you could say, Lord, I'm doing it again. Bless this person. Bless me with the grace to be able to release this so that I'm not always cursing this person. Forgiveness is considering the offender responsible for his or her action. I, I use the example of my three-year-old knocking over a glass of milk unintentionally. Well, that doesn't need forgiveness because that's just what happens. And she's not really responsible for doing that because, well, she's my daughter, so she's a klutz, you know. Now, it's different if you see the kid look you straight in the eye and go, Phew. Now you're considering them responsible and you do need to forgive. And you need to take away the milk and give her water for a day. <laughs> Forgiveness is release, finding a way to release the debt within your heart and that only comes through getting close to Jesus. Forgiveness is a decision about the future, not a feeling about the past. The temptation, when someone has stabbed us to the heart, the temptation is to hate that person. And again, there's an element of righteousness in it. it that was not fair. That was unjust. That was terrible. It was wrong. All of these, I'm assuming, are accurate. And so, there actions or ours or not make them our enemy now our dukes are up every time we face off even if we have to smile at them because they're our boss they're our enemy now how do you destroy an enemy well you know most military generals would just say well you throw some bombs at them you invade their town you wipe out their town you destroy them well if you do that your enemy isn't destroyed is he because where is your hatred still in your heart or worse than that you make your enemy a martyr and now everybody's on the enemy's side and they're against you and oh now now your problems are d doubled trebled now you're really toast. So how would I go about destroying my enemy? What, what could I do that would make this enemy cease to be? You make them your friend. The only way to destroy an enemy is to make that enemy your friend. Now again, we live in a sin-sick world. You can't always do that. But as far as it is dependent upon you, live at peace with all men. Kill them with kindness. Or as Peter says, win them with love so that they see your actions and they just say, wow, I, I, I got to have a piece of whatever it is you have. If you want to take a journey on this road, it will be difficult. It will be grueling. It will be painful. And you're going to have regrets. I shouldn't treat them like this. It's not fair. 
Lord, I give it to you again. Lord, I give it to you again. Lord, one more time. I know it was 30 seconds ago, but I give it to you again. (laughs) And pretty soon, that humble stature before the Almighty King of the universe becomes where you naturally are. You get stronger by doing things over and over again. And this is the area, this, this spiritual discipline, this exercise of saying, Lord, forgive this person. Lord, I forgave this person. I did it again. And I, I grabbed it back from Your cross. Forgive me and give me grace and bless them. Make them right with You. That done over years will give you the strength to weather just about any storm. And it's what God commands. Forgiveness is a decision about the future, not a feeling about the past. And Lord, I am humbled as I preach this particular message because I know that there are before me men and women who have suffered horrors that I just wouldn't want to know. And Lord, I know that for those who trust You, their sins are as far as the east is from the west from them. And I know that for those who do not trust You, Lord, You will see that justice is done. And that is such a horrible thought. God, I pray that we would first release the bitterness, release the anger, release the hatred, and lay it at Your cross. That we would ask You for forgiveness because we have sinned against You by withholding forgiveness. Spirit, I pray that You would answer our prayer. I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would come right now. And You would work in my heart, in my brothers' and sisters' hearts, to give us rest, to lay our heavy burden down, so that we can take up Your yoke, which is so much easier, Jesus. I pray that You would teach us to forgive. That You would teach us to trust Your promises for us in Christ. That You would teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So that we will rejoice, so that we will have mental and physical health. Yes, Jesus, that is important and we want that. But we want even more than that, Lord, to forgive so that You will be glorified, so that people will see that we value You and our relationship with You so much more than grabbing on to bitter roots that weigh us down and destroy our families. Oh God, 26 years of working with You in forgiveness and I don't have it down yet.
But Lord, I trust in You. And I know that what You have done in me, You will bring it to perfection on the day of Christ Jesus. And I rest and hope in that. And I pray that my brothers and sisters here will do the same. For our joy, for Your glory, and for the growth of Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen.